welcome to Try, Try Again with Catherine Velez, a podcast dedicated to relationships, the one with yourself and others. One of the most important aspects of any relationship with yourself is self-respect. In the world of psychology, there are lots of selves out there, self-actualization, self-esteem, self-compassion, self-efficacy. But today we're going to talk about six specific ways to increase self-esteem, how you value yourself, your overall sense of worth. This is so important because we don't do well with an overabundance, which can lead to a lack of humility, and it's very extreme, a narcissistic personality. But we also don't want to operate at the low end of the self-esteem spectrum because that can take us to a less than satisfying life, and it leads us to stay in relationships that are sometimes destructive and damaging best to be in the middle to mid-high range of self-esteem. And we do that in a variety of ways. Our genetic tendencies can come into play, but mostly our experiences and our attachments influence our self-esteem as well as our achievements and what we believe to be true about the world. If we were criticized as children and teenagers, we might find as adults we have low self-esteem. Conversely, we all know children who grew up to believe they were so special and idealized in the eyes of their parents that they could never live up to that and consequently never do. It's important that we have a realistic sense of ourselves, not criticizing or undervalued, but certainly not overblown. And it works best if we see others in the same light, the I'm okay, you're okay philosophy. I was talking to a young woman and she sat in tears after another difficult breakup. She talked about her feelings and things she wished she had done differently. She was hurt and angry and confused that every time she felt she gave her all in relationship, it was never reciprocated. She walked away from relationships feeling as if her needs had never been met and she had been used, disrespected, and never truly understood by her partners. She felt she had given everything, and that was still not enough. As we talked, it became increasingly clear to me that at least part of the problem might be her self-esteem and self-worth. When I asked her about it, she stated that when she was in relationship, she felt good about herself, and when she was not, she felt bad. She was able to begin to recognize that unless she was in a relationship with a man, she did not value herself, which really meant She did not value herself. So let's look at ways to improve or maintain healthy self-esteem. Number one, knowing yourself and your boundaries is very important. Healthy self-esteem allows us to set healthy boundaries, which keep us safe and keep us feeling respected in relationship. Without a healthy sense of self, we're unable to set those kinds of boundaries that we need. Additionally, without a healthy sense of self-esteem and the ability to then set healthy boundaries, we often find ourselves stuck in relationships that are at best not serving us and at worst tearing us down and are detrimental to us. These relationships often are so toxic that they're part of the reason we have zero self-esteem. As we talked about in previous podcasts, know yourself and know what your boundaries are. We teach people how to treat us and how to respect us. Setting boundaries is the first part, but holding them is often the most difficult. If we set a boundary that we won't allow name-calling in our relationship, 
and yet our partner calls us a name, and we don't hold that boundary. We don't talk about it. We don't have perhaps a consequence in place to help us hold that boundary. Then the boundary has just been flattened, and the behavior will likely continue and perhaps increase. One of the first parts of improving our self-esteem is a biggie, and it has a lot of components, so stay with me on this, this step. You must find a way to silence the inner critic in your head and change your thinking. This is imperative in building your self-esteem. Now, the critic may be your own voice, but it might also be the voice of a parent or a loved one, someone who said something to you that wounded your soul, something that stayed with you so that you hear this voice or see this image and it takes you to a place of self-loathing or doubt or fear. If you've not listened to the podcast on cognitive behavioral therapy, I encourage you to do so. You can also Google it or work with a therapist. It's one of the modalities I work with, including trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. And in a nutshell, it is changing your thinking. You can not only figuratively change your brain, but you can literally change it. There are on average 86 billion, that's billion with a B, neurons in our brains and billions more chemicals supporting these neurons. Neurons basically receive sensory information or input. They send motor commands to muscles and they relay information throughout our brain and our nervous system. Neural pathways in our brains are the basis of how we think, the actions we take, and how we feel. There's an old saying that the neurons that fire together, wire together. So if you imagine, just imagine these neural pathways in the brain as actual paths or walking trails. The more traveled the pathway, the easier it is to find and follow. The more likely we are to use that trail because it's clearly marked and well-traveled. The pathway or trail that is covered in brush and difficult to transverse, we may avoid. It's too much work to plot out that trail. It requires a lot of effort, and it's certainly much more exhausting than the well-traveled and marked trail. But if you hope to make changes, it is imperative you be open to doing this work. The brain works the same way. If we want to change the way we do things, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act, we can train our brain so that the neural pathways fire and wire together for improved satisfaction in life. I heard psychologist Rick Hansen talking recently, and he talked about how the brain is like Velcro for the negative in life and like Teflon for the positive. We are much more likely to believe the negative. And when we do that, we're wiring our brain, firing those neurons, which are wiring together to believe the negative. What I encourage you to do is to work on unwiring the negative and rewiring for not just the positive in a... Pollyanna kind of way, but for that which serves you, for that which is true. And very often the negative is actually not true. It is a lie. So wire for the good in that which serves you. Silence the inner critic and replace the negative with the alternative positive thought. If the automatic negative thought is, I am so stupid. How could I have said that? Immediately replace that with, I am not stupid. I have a good job or I have a degree, or I have people that actually think I'm pretty smart. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody says things they wish they hadn't. Have these alternative thoughts ready and replace them as soon as an automatic negative thought hits you. This is the beginning of changing your brain. 
couple of books that talk about this are Train Your Mind, Change Your Brain by Sharon Begley. She's a Newsweek science writer. Uh, and uh, another book is Change Your Brain, Change Your Life by Dr. Daniel Amen. And, and another one that I like and I recommend is called Hardwiring for Happiness. And that's by um, Rick Hansen. So included in this changing how you choose to think and the thoughts that you allow into your brain is also cognitive distortions that you rely on or that have become automatic for you. I know Dr. David Burns in his Feel Good Handbook has a list of cognitive distortions that we often use. And you can just Google cognitive distortions and pull them up. If you come into my office and want a list of those, let me know and I can provide that to you if I haven't already. But basically, cognitive distortions are irrational ways of thinking that we have come to rely on. Very often, it's due to habit and wiring in our brain. An example of a cognitive distortion would be the words always and never. I always mess up. I never do it good enough. Whenever you hear the words always and never, those are likely irrational distortions. They're typically not accurate. Another one is when you think of shoulds. I should do this or I shouldn't do that. The shoulds are often cognitive distortions we carry with us. Overreacting or minimizing can be cognitive distortions. These are things that have become automatic ways we allow ourselves to think that don't serve us and are often untrue. So identify your cognitive distortions. And again, under the heading of rewiring your brain, look at how to think of things differently. I know that's a lot of information for step number one. Uh, step number two is practicing self-compassion, speaking to yourself and treating yourself as you would a friend. We often allow thoughts in our head and judgments about ourselves that we would never say to a friend or even think about a loved one. But we don't allow those same boundaries to apply to how we speak to ourselves. A book I often refer to clients is Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. Ms. Neff has uh, a website you can go to to take some self-assessment tests and look at aspects of self-compassion, including guided meditations and other supports. The website is selfcompassion.org. I encourage you to check out the website and educate yourself on this idea of self-compassion. Number three is to stop comparing yourself to everyone else. I recognize it's easier to say that than do it. But what I want you to recognize is that comparing almost always focuses on either your deficit or another's deficit. When we have to compare ourselves and measure ourselves against others, we usually walk away focused on our failings. This doesn't serve us in a healthy way. And the few times where we might walk away feeling like we're doing pretty well, that leaves the other person at the deficit. And that's not necessarily a great feeling for us to walk around with either. I encourage you as you work on this step of not comparing, which can also be, which can also be a habit for us, and build your self-esteem to occasionally examine your progress, where you were and where you are. If you're struggling in the beginning of building self-esteem and can't see that you've made any progress, Go in search of a trusted friend or loved one or a therapist that can help you see the progress you've made. Even recognizing that you need to work on your self-esteem and listening to this podcast is progress. It's a recognition that I need to make a change and I think maybe I'm ready to make that change. Compare yourself to you, where you've been, where you are, and where you're headed. Number four 
is self-esteem is usually increased by some kind of perceived achievement. Now, yes, if you won the Nobel Peace Prize, you're probably feeling pretty good about yourself. But for most of us, achievement is more relative. If I've been suffering with depression and anxiety and I can get out of bed today and I feel like I can take the dog for a walk, that is achievement. Enough of those moments together and you begin building self-esteem. Set goals for what you would like to achieve and remember to set those goals based on where you are at the moment. If getting out of bed and going for a walk is something you have not been able to do and suddenly you're able to do it, that's an achievement. Do not minimize it. Maybe you want to do a different job, start a new career, go back to school, learn a new method of cooking or eating, plant a garden, take up a hobby, heal a relationship, smile at a stranger. Any of these things, all of these things are achievement. They make the world a little bit better. Be in those moments and recognize how important they can be. Sometimes we struggle in identifying our achievements, and that is, again, when we seek out a friend or loved one. I've been so very blessed to have been at the bedsides of my father and father-in-law when they passed from this world to the next, and they both struggled identifying their achievements in this life. It was important for them in their final hours in this life to feel they had contributed and left behind a legacy. It's a gift I feel I was able to give both of them. It was something neither felt they could do for themselves, at least in those moments. And interestingly, we touched on work, but the conversations revolved around relationships, relationships with those who had already passed, with family, with friends, and things they had done to show their love in this world and how they were of service to others. God truly is in the details. Love is in the details. And I hope that you will carry that with you as you make your day-to-day choices of how to exist on this planet in each moment. We are either acting in love and in service to one another, or we are not. I don't believe there is any in-between. And if we're lucky enough to spend our last moments recounting our impact in this world, I hope it is in the little kindnesses, deeds, and words that we will find comfort in moving to the next phase of existence. Number five is not necessarily something that you would typically connect to building self-esteem, but I've seen it enough that I think it's worth mentioning. Recognize if you have lapsed into a sense of victimization or self-victimhood, learned helplessness, or blaming others for your situation. It may be really hard to admit, and it may be hard to identify, but but if you find that perhaps you're in this dark place of blaming others and feeling helpless, that will absolutely affect your sense of self-esteem. I would recommend if you're in this position, you seek the help of a therapist because it often requires taking some responsibility, putting an end to judging ourselves and others, and working towards some measure of forgiveness, which we will cover in future podcasts. And finally, under number six, I encourage, as always, you to take care of you. You're deserving of love. Keep a gratitude journal as we discussed before. Connect with loved ones and friends and surround yourself with people who build you up and appreciate you for who you are and respect you rather than people who tear you down. If you need a refresher on self-care, you can refer to an earlier podcast. And always, I recommend yoga and breathing as ways of getting in touch with self and body and building an appreciation for the beautiful person you are, for the amazing body that you have despite everything. It gets you around and allows you to operate in this world to give hugs and think and do the things you want to do, even if you're not completely satisfied with how it looks in a swimsuit. 
it really is remarkable that we have this amazing brain and body, and it's ours to do with as we see fit. Use that brain and body to enhance your spirit, your soul. Do not use it as an excuse or a way to tear down that spirit. You're worth it all and deserving of a rich and fulfilling life. Treat yourself this way and treat others this way. Think of yourself this way and start rewiring your brain to re-energize your life. Have a week filled with meaning and love.